Hello and welcome to Style and Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. And we need that because our messaging has to move people, doesn't it? It has to move them to action. It has to inspire them. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to get right under the skin of who you're talking to. Hello and welcome to our first episode. To say that we're excited is a little bit of an understatement. In our conversation today, we are talking about muses. What are they? Why you need them? How to find your muse? How they can help you craft a business that really works for you? The difference between demographics and psychographics and why it matters? How muses mesh with your magic? Oh, try saying that after a few and lots more. Hope you enjoy the show. Oh, we've got a good one for you today. We are going to talk about muses. Yes. Or client profiles. Or client profiles. Ideal clients. All of those things. And we've got tons of stuff to say on this, but we're going to try not to waffle around it too much. Let's get stuck in. So we're going to talk about muses today, which is one of my pet subjects. Yes, absolutely. And the importance of having a really good client profile. So everybody needs one, whatever you're doing in business. And we're going to get stuck into the... What are they? How do you find out who they are? And do a bit of troubleshooting for you. But why is it important to have a muse in the first place? Yeah, it's essential, isn't it? Yeah, because you need to know who you're talking to. And this was one of the things way back in the day when I first started learning about branding and marketing. I used to do loads of stuff at the Institute of Direct Marketing. And one of the things I found so difficult was this idea of writing to an audience yeah I just couldn't do it yeah you know this like this homogenous group of 25 to 44 year olds shops in Waitrose shops in Waitrose (laughs) drives a Volvo like I I and I kind of thought there was something wrong with me because Mm. I couldn't understand why my copy wasn't cutting through when everyone else's was yeah yeah and we need that because our messaging has to move people doesn't it It has to move them to action it has to inspire them and the only way you're going to be able to do that is to get right under the skin of who you're talking to or shout at them quite heavily and I didn't want to do that yeah no we definitely want to avoid the shouting (laughs) approach you can you can use lots of hyperbole and you can really you know ramp them up and follow that very hard selly process and and I think that's where you absolutely can talk to the 35 to 55 year old woman who aspires to have a Louis Vuitton bag and wants to be jet setting all over the world and you know that's that's kind of a much easier if you really turn the screw yeah yeah it's much easier to write that kind of copy but we're talking about a much subtler approach something mm, that has I was selling print yeah you know (laughs) yeah do you realize what you're missing out on (laughs) you have to yeah you have to ram it down their throats because because it's a a race to the bottom price wise in print and all of that kind of stuff whereas whereas we're looking at elevating that and the need to have it crosses 
all of your marketing, all of your business, actually. It's yeah. not just what you're saying in your copy. It's how you create your visuals mm. and your look and feel. It's how you create your offering and streamline your services. If you really know who you're working with and for and you understand what makes them tick and you understand their lifestyle, you can craft a business that really works for them as well as works for you. So, yeah, so there's all of those practical reasons. But equally, I know for both of us, we're really passionate about working with the right people who really get what you're trying to do. Yeah. And so that work becomes a joy. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. if you're if you're not working with the right people, yeah. you'll get sucked into that over-servicing, over-delivering or nightmare clients and you end up very quickly in a scenario with a business you don't really love. So yeah. taking the time to find out who you really want to work with early on is yeah. really important. And particularly if you're a designer creative, because if you're showing your work out there, you're going to get more of the work that you can talk about and you can show. And if you're working with people you don't really want more work from, it's very hard to put that stuff out there with confidence, isn't it? Yes, totally. And also, if you're working with people who, you know, maybe, and I had this in the early days of my design agency, was we were working with people because we were convenient we had the right software yeah um we were offering the right price they didn't enjoy working with us they didn't bring out the best in us creatively they took a lot of energy to manage yes that had a nasty impact on our creative confidence which meant we played things very safe so our portfolio wasn't great yeah you know it's that sort of vicious Vicious cycle. cycle isn't it yeah and and I also can remember quite distinctly someone phoning me one day saying Claire says you're really good and really cheap. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Also not not what you want to be known for. So I think ideal clients is kind of intrexibly linked with what you want to be known for, isn't it? It's it's completely meshed in with your magic. And and that might be your creative style if you're a creative, if you're a florist or a brand designer or a, a photographer, that will be your creative style generally. But even as an accountant... Mm. If you're branding your business well and you're thinking about what sets you apart and how you want to be different, or the amazing mortgage advisor that I'm working with yes. at the moment, who whose business, I mean, it's not her business, it's, <clears throat> it's much bigger than that, but the founder of that company is really disrupting the sector, not in an aggressive, mm. you know, a disruptor tech yeah. kind of way, but in a mortgages don't have to be mysterious mortgages don't have to be scary yeah mortgages don't aren't out of your control you know it's it's a much more collaborative nurturing affair and so thinking about well who is it that's going to value that because not everybody wants to be nurtured yeah absolutely yeah so there's all of these benefits from being really clear about who your muses are, who your ideal clients are. And you'll probably have a number of muses as well, won't you? Yeah. There isn't necessarily just one. There shouldn't be just one. Yeah, absolutely. No. And that will enable you to reach the full breadth of your creativity, the full breadth of your offering, work out your pricing, all of that kind of stuff. So it brings you confidence. It enables people to get you when they get you you're going to do your best work Mm. when you do your best work you're going to get more referrals really getting clear and specific about this is really important so when we start to dig into how to create a client muse Mm. you and I look at a number of things similarly and then there's a number of additions that you bring in and that 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 I bring in yeah depending on what we're going for 
Shall we just talk about how people traditionally do it first? Yes, I think we've absolutely. put this to bed. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but traditionally, what you'll do is you'll look at the demographic. Mm. You know, it might be ABC1, it might be that they shop in Waitrose, it might be that it might be how old they are or where they went to school or yeah. what job they do. But it'll be quite functional. Mm. And it can be quite hard to understand how to connect with that as yeah. a as a person. You know, what? How does knowing that my ideal client goes on holiday to Mallorca help me write my newsletter this week? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know what that tells me. Yeah. It it can be useful as a backdrop in other things, but there's something bigger that comes in first, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. What we're wanting to do is really get into. Not the demographics, but the psychographics, if you like, getting yeah. under the skin of those clients. Yeah. And the key piece, what what those demographics do is they give you a broad brush sweep that you were saying, this sort of homogenous sector of people. But when we're creating muses, they want to be your muse, your inspiration. They have yeah. to be really specific. Yeah. And there are certain things that can be really helpful in drawing out that profile. Yeah, and the big game changer for me was... You know, we'd been bumbling along with this kind of demographic approach. And then I remember, do you remember the accidental salesman, yes. Richard White? Yeah, I do. And I remember going on a sales course with him. Sadly, he's not with us anymore. But he was, he just blew my mind because, you know, we, we'd kind of gone with, well, these are my top clients. These spend this much money. And, you know, most most of us that haven't thought about psychographics will tend to find that our top clients are often not the nicest clients to work with. <laughs> yeah, top clients the being the ones money. that spend the most money. Yeah, yeah, but they're not necessarily the most satisfying or the most rewarding or mm. the easiest to work with. Yeah, And he said, no, think about what motivates these clients to do business with you. And once you start looking at what motivates people, mm. you often start to see, hang on a minute, this person that spends all this money, it's quite tenuous. Yeah. They're just here because we're convenient. Yeah. They're not they don't love our approach. They couldn't give a monkeys about our resonant brand design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they just want someone to use the software because they don't have it. Yes. Or yeah. or whatever that might be. And so when you start unlocking well what is it we want to be known for? What what's our magic? What sets us apart? And then who's gonna value that magic? Yeah. And, and then what kind of person are they? Yeah. And then you can start to build up the demographics because actually it's quite useful and we'll come on to that in a minute. But that piece on what is motivating this client mm. to work with me, what what do, and specifically what do they value yeah. about what we value? Yeah, and that opens up the possibility of you then becoming a destination brand because yeah. it isn't just because you're local, you're cheap, yeah. you're the only ones that can use the software because those things are all easily replaceable, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, totally. If you're starting to create a muse, where do we start? And there's some sort of specific questions I ask myself, and I know you do too. And we're looking at creating a profile of, ideally, someone you know or someone you know of well. Yeah, totally. You've got you've got to understand how these people tick. Yeah. You go a little bit deeper psychologically than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my thing. Um, but... I think you've you've got to understand that motivation. I've got two clients at the moment who run homeware companies. One makes these amazing show-stopping cushions inspired by ballroom dancing. Amazing. And the other one, she has this beautiful, much sort of more subdued Scandi aesthetic. Mm. 
and and her her business is very much driven by sustainability ethics completely different people you're not going to have both those cushions in the same house absolutely not the same person is not going to be buying definitely definitely not and you know the person that's going to buy these show-stopping cushions they're quite fabulous you know <laughs> they want yeah, a piece yeah. of fabulous in yeah, their yeah. home um, you're not going to find them in my house <laughs> <laughs> whereas you will find the lovely sustainably sourced handcrafted yeah. shipped in mindfully from yeah wherever because you value that kind of thing yeah. so it's not just it's not always aesthetics it's not always you know I think two very different things are driving that yeah buyer and that brand actually as well and neither's right or wrong they're just different and that's what makes branding work isn't it yeah absolutely so you find someone that you know and and for those of you who've been in business for a while can be really helpful to just think of okay who is my best client in the the one that really gets me who I love working with who Mm -hmm. I'm who brings out the best in what I'm able to offer who maybe comes back time and again Mm. or or maybe they were a one-off but they were really magical you know they really get me you can think about those people and draw out that profile Mm. because there's one of them there's likely to be more yeah and if you don't have that sort of reference point you can look to friends look to colleagues look to relatives look to I don't know, famous people that you've got mm. an insight into, but yeah. somebody somebody specific. And then then you start to build this general picture of them, don't you? And you yeah. might think, okay, what are their buying habits? Yeah. Uh, particularly if you're, you know, if you're selling a product, but even if you're in a service-based business, it can be helpful to sort of start to build that picture. Yeah. Totally. So you might just get down as much information as you can in a one-off hit of what are their buying habits? Where do they shop? What brands do they like? and why yeah and you can take some educated guesses around Mm. this if you're out with them for dinner or a lunch or walk in the park what do they talk about what are they Mm. interested in why do they love that latest tassily cushion Mm. or why do they particularly like this thing that they've bought for their kids or it's thinking about what has motivated them to buy that and you're thinking about their lifestyle how do they spend in particular their time yeah because that will how people spend their time and how people spend their money will yeah. give you an indication of what they value. Mm. If somebody is would rather go to a lovely restaurant with the money they've got versus buy something for their house, that gives you an indication of, of what's driving them. But for me, it's always... Because I think if you're new to this, it can feel quite like, well, where do I stop? You know, yeah, I've looked absolutely. at Amuse in the past where, you know, it was like... At six fifty, she gets up and she brushes her teeth. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, so so as I'm listening to what you're saying, it all it's all absolutely true. But you've always got to put it through that filter of how is this relevant? To absolutely, brand, you absolutely. know. So yeah, no, absolutely, um, it has to be relevant. And I think in the first instance, we don't, you know, we don't want to be building up a, a detailed CIA report <laughs> for, for someone <laughs> so that you know this person we find this woman, you know, she she was last seen at eight oh five brushing her teeth. I quite often have a bit of a light bulb moment as I'm building out Mm. this figure because I'm thinking well yeah of course she loves the white company and she loves Joe Malone Mm. and she loves uh, I don't know reading red magazine yeah and that can give me already you've got a picture I've already got a picture and I've already got a sense of the sort of things that are she's going to want to see she's not going to want to see neon pink yes yeah, so if you're thinking shopping the, at the white company. Yeah, from a visual frame of reference, I am. you're drawing but on those But also from pieces. a communicating, from a yeah. you know, from a writing a website, writing an email newsletter, even 
this is probably digressing a little bit, but every single thing I put out, we create muses for. Absolutely, don't we? everything, every email, every course, every, and podcast. there'll be a number of them. Every <laughs> podcast, yeah. yes. Were you profile for this podcast? Yeah. You probably were. Yeah, so it informs everything, and what you bring forth at the front of your message is determined by that information, isn't it? So for example, I always like to think about their relationship with time and their relationship to money, because if someone is cash rich and time poor, Mm. they'll have very different spending habits and motivations to somebody who is cash poor and time rich. Mm. So understanding those things, particularly because a lot of the profiling I do is for copy or is for strategic positioning of building your offerings and how you're going to get that out there as opposed to the visual range of it I like to think about their education level I like to think about how well traveled they are what their Mm. sphere of references might be so I might be taking into account what they like to read whether they listen to podcasts whether they are up with cultural references or not whether they're down with the kids so all of that starts to inform the tone of voice so you might be thinking about are they someone who's particularly tuned into the media that's quite topical at the moment because if you're someone who is constantly watching the news constantly listening to the radio constantly reading newspapers constantly being informed by the media they're going to have a certain way of looking at the world at the Mm. moment and they're going to have certain i mean let's be real certain anxieties at the moment yeah and we have to be careful in the way that we approach people to make sure we're not completely mismatching that yeah because yeah, yeah. if your clients feel like, or your prospective clients feel like they're not heard, yeah. then they're just going to switch off. Yeah, totally. So understanding... Well, we've, we've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? we've, we've definitely seen that. So, um, yeah, so it's about what they'll value in the brand and whether it speaks to what matters to them at this time. And I go sometimes a little bit deeper, particularly because I work with a lot of people who have service-based businesses So one of the questions I might ask is what keeps them awake at night? Mm. What do they worry about? And I work with a lot of coaches, so... I'm mm. just going to drop in there. I think it's important. You're very respectful about how you use that information, what keeps them awake at night. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you hear that and people just go for blood. Yeah, horrendous. So what I'm aiming to create with any communications or any brand is... The feeling that ultimately as human beings we all want, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be valued. Yeah. I am not talking about using this stuff to take people's legs out from under them and to hit them where it hurts and to manipulate them into buying something that isn't going to be of value they don't want or they don't need. Because this stuff is really powerful. Yeah. And I think we have to have a commercial conscience. Yeah. And I'm sure that most people listening to this just want to be able to do their best work right yeah yeah all of this information can be used and we see it used all the time to really hustle people yes and you know i see it i I see i don't know why i keep getting all these adverts on my um, social (laughs) media thing but i keep seeing things from relationship coaches and (laughs) make him fall in love with you in five easy moves and how to kiss a guy to and i'm like where is this stuff coming from like are you listening to my whatsapp conversations with my partner i mean what's all this about And, you know, there are people out there who are targeting, and I get really riled up about it, targeting vulnerable women in particular who are desperate for a relationship or one that actually works. And they're really going in for the Achilles. Yeah, Yeah. and we're not not talking about that. We're not advocating that. I think this whole thing is about giving you that sense of empathy and connection. Because that, you know, at the heart of everything we do... It's about building a long-term sustainable business. Absolutely. So you can hustle 
as much as you like and you know you might well get to that nine are we talking nine figures I have now no idea what, <laughs> Multiple what nine figures. people are talking about now I'm just <laughs> um, but it, it, it from what we've seen it's not sustainable no it's not and you want to build trust all of this mm. is about building trust but that and more importantly about when somebody lands on your website when somebody reads a piece of copy when somebody hears a podcast when whenever they have any touch point with your brand they need to be able to answer the question is this for me yeah are they speaking to me is this going to be of value so mm. depending on your business if you're a product-based business you might want to go more into their shopping habits and the mm. brands that they buy and where they spend their holidays and all of that kind of stuff or if you're a service-based business it might be how they manage their time or these mm. things will get more and more specific but generally you want to be thinking about the environments that they operate in the people that they spend their time with how they spend their money how they spend their time mm. and why yeah you know those sort of broad brushes and then I will quite often go away and maybe play around with writing some stuff around that I might if I'm really looking at um so some of some of the work I do is in uh, helping people write white papers or mm. pieces of influence or, mm. or what have you and so when it's high stakes like that I might go so far as to for my own purposes write a diary entry for mm. that person or if they were writing this paper what would they write kind mm. of thing or yeah. just you know hallucinate around a dinner party conversation or whatever it would be and then you do other stuff with it so you go on and create visual references yeah. for yours don't so you? So I think your process sounds probably quite a lot deeper and more time consuming than mine well, which you know there's a reason we have we called our podcast what we did <laughs> my, I tend to hit on my muses quite quickly yeah and they tend to be quite powerful mm. quite quickly so yeah. I get all the information I need probably yeah 10, no same 15 minutes yeah don't I? absolutely this doesn't I mean, have to be long I'm drawn out writing it for a client that's a much more protracted yes. process but if we're doing something for the podcast and we're thinking, you know, what do these three people need to know about muses? Yeah. Because that's how I would, you know, I'd use them in two ways. I'd use them in terms of what do these three people, and generally it's always three, isn't it, need yeah. to know about colour psychology for brand designers or this specific thing mm. in that course on taking a brief. Yeah. Or it might be what do these three specific people need to see from this ethical mortgage company yeah you know so I'm I'm using it for quite a specific purpose so that tends to inform what I need to know yeah and when we're and doing that we're asking you know thinking about your online course we do we come back to the muses in all every the conversation we yeah, have yeah. and we're digging into what are the questions they have what are the problems that mm. they're facing yeah and it comes from a working knowledge of working with lots of designers and, and that's specific. the thing this is why you can't make this stuff up exactly so as we as we're building out say the color psychology course we mm. are literally going through scenarios that we've seen yeah that color psychology could have helped yeah and thinking is this process enough to yeah. get them you know what where are the gaps where's the intuitive gap so you have to have that working knowledge yeah. for either to create something that's meaningful or to communicate in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. Unless you want to pull, what did you call it? Pull, pull people's feet out from <laughs> yeah. them yeah. or something. So what am I looking for? I think I'm always looking for that person that I know. Yeah. And it might be in my friendship group. It might be a family member. It might be a friend of the family, like you say. But I'm going to know them and I'm going to know bits about 
their lifestyle. Mm. And what I do, because I'm a very visual person, is I'll build up a mood board yeah. of that person. And I'm thinking about, you know, what are they wearing? What, do, what If it's a homeware brand, what other brands are there in that mm. house that they're buying into that, that this fits into? I'm not obviously filling up an entire shopping trolley <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about all the mundane stuff, but I'm thinking about what are the most resonant brands that yeah. fit with that and what and I'm thinking subconsciously what does that tell me about what this brand needs yeah. to do yeah we're not deciding um, whether they're Colgate or Pearl Drops kind of people no. at that level <laughs> no you know, it's definitely like, not um, no. and the other thing I think just just thinking back that I forgot to mention that I think it's really key with why we're doing this process is when you get your muses right it gives your business the opportunity to grow yes because we might have muses and and we'll get into this in a little bit but muses that you're currently working with that are sort of your bread and butter and then every business really should have an aspirational muse yeah who would you absolutely love if you were pushing yeah. out the boat and yeah. really pulling out all the stops who would you love to work yeah. with and I think that's a a muse that gets you excited yeah and quite often I've worked with a few clients mm-hmm. who they'll pull those muses from literal famous people you know or people of big yeah, influence or what have you that. i'm not but because they actually want to work with specifically those people okay but for yeah. example for the podcast we have we have a list of guests that we'd love to get on yeah some of whom we know would probably you know walk through the door and be happy to see us and some of us we think oh, that's going to take a little bit of convincing bit of but yeah. it's quite inspiring to have yeah. that as an aspiration so thinking all of this you know, have two or three core muses but also look at getting an aspirational one for the direction you want your business to grow in the flip side to that which i think is really powerful and we need to talk about is the anti-muse yes yeah. definitely that again that came out of the richard white stuff yeah. because you know there would be people that i found really inspiring as people mm. you know who had businesses that i really wanted to do the design work for but would never spend the money yeah and understanding you know is that a positioning thing are we just not credible enough or actually do they just not value it yeah Yeah. that can be a really useful insight or the flip side is they are a client but they're an absolute nightmare Nightmare. yeah it's really worth particularly if you've been in business for a while of doing a client audit every so often yeah who are your absolutely golden customers for whatever reason and and yes that they spend with you needs to be up there because otherwise Mm. we're not talking about hobbies here we're talking about a business yeah but that's not your only criteria do they bring out your best work do you enjoy spending time with them? Are you inspired by whatever it is? Do they refer is? you? Do they you refer know? you? Yeah, That's absolutely. That's a great sign that, that they really value what you do. Yeah. And do they refer you in the right, right way? way? Yeah, <clears throat> are they so saying the right things? So not just that you're really cheap and really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if, they were in a, if you were overhearing them as a fly on a wall in a dinner party, would they be saying what you want them to say? Yeah. yeah. And so profiling those is great. We were being very grateful the other day, weren't we, that most of our customers the ones that pay us well are also the ones that we really love to work with and that's quite a sweet spot to get to but you might not be there and we have that sort of privilege of having been doing this for quite a long time so we can settle into that and we've got which i can't wait to talk about in future episodes but we have a lot of processes in place and a lot of boundaries in place yes absolutely to make sure so you're saying most of our clients i would say all of my clients. yeah i don't i don't think i have a bum client i mean i genuinely don't i love all my clients 
So you promised some troubleshooting. Yes. If you're just starting out in business, it will be different from if you've been in business for a while. And both bring their challenges, don't they? Absolutely. So if you're just starting out and you're thinking, I have to create this set of muses, I have no idea where to start. It's okay that you don't know. You can make intelligent best guesses. Again, still being specific, Mm. take a punt at who you think you're going to love working with because you're going to have to be quite targeted in your messaging and your branding. So take an intelligent best guess Mm. and work with that. And then absolutely three months, six months, nine months down the line, you need to refine that process. And, And I would say, and this is something I know you've interviewed me on before, but I review after every, yes, I just every review time. on an ongoing yeah. basis. I mean, yeah. have a formal review by all means, but yeah. but try particularly at the start or particularly when you've made a big change to just reflect. Yes. Not to make yourself feel bad, but just, you know, every project we did in my design agency, we would look at and we would think, was that amazing work? You know, could we have done any better? What was amazing about it? what was that worth yeah. versus what they paid? Because we always delivered where we wanted to be next, yes, not what the client paid for. very key for you. You do that so well. Really key. And so we weren't looking at that gap thinking, oh, bum, we delivered a £1,000 more value than they paid for. It was more that confidence thing of next time we go into a meeting and someone's saying, oh, I can't really afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, well, we know we're worth that money yeah, absolutely so. and I think why I'm saying don't necessarily do a massive definitely review each time particularly mm. in the early stages but when you're starting up in a business you can't afford to keep stopping and reinventing the wheel no that's very true so you have to have true. a period of time where everything's fairly consistent in your approach your delivery your messaging so that you can then start yeah, looking at it and see point. what's working if you're dramatically shifting your copy style or dramatically shifting based on every individual bit of feedback <laughs> it's going to be a nightmare it's going to be a nightmare and you're going to you're going to just well, going to run out of time you won't get out the blocks no, you? exactly You'll, you know i think that first year in business which we'll talk about another time <laughs> it's an experiment yeah it you're is going an to experiment work with clients that you would never touch yes. again you're going to work with some unexpectedly amazing yeah. people and you're that... going to have it inevitable i have to take the work because i need to take the money yeah, and that's course. all fine in yeah. the initial stages and actually yeah. sometimes very useful because yeah. what you might find is you might find in taking that work that you have a golden muse in there yeah, that you hadn't exactly. thought of yeah or you'll discover a, your anti-muse <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is fine yeah. too yeah. and and i think with all of this it's like just be excited about the possibility of really getting to get into your groove so it's just like it's an experiment it's a suck it and see it's a learn as you go it's a taking feedback not failure you know it's it's that whole sort of okay this is really exciting but you have to set your stall out in some way first so take a punt find three and then you're going to refine and on the anti-muse you're again looking at what motivates them and where's the mismatch yes so there's probably a mismatch of values, expectations, motivations. Working styles. Working there will be styles. very often the core anti-muse pieces where you'll get hung up is that your working style doesn't match theirs. Yeah, That's where people run into the most problems. Either their expectations of the level of communication yeah. or speed. speed of response. And I just level want, of detail. Level of detail. Level and I just vision. want to flag here as well because I, I'm always looking at things these days through a neurodiversity lens. Mm. If you are a business owner who is neurodiverse, mm. you will have certain pressures on you 
that your clients may or may not be aware of mm. and you need to take that into account yeah i have a huge number of clients with adhd yeah they value my work because they need someone to hold their hand through what i mean they are genius brilliant people mm. but consistency of delivery is a struggle for them so mm. they bring me in to do that piece i have to be aware of that in my expectations of them in how i communicate so just with your anti muses and you know and your muses just have that one last check so that's the just starting out versus if you've been in business for a while mm. if you've been in business for a while do a do a client audit yeah you know i think the thing when you've been in business a while there's so much noise particularly mm. if you've got a team you know i know when i had my design agency there were rent and rates to pay and there were all these bills flooding in and there was team to keep happy and keep motivated and to you know clients and just the task of having that headspace to think you know it's very easy to run off a report and go these are my top clients yeah but to actually tackle that clear thinking yeah that's a whole other it's a whole other thing but it's so you absolutely have to prioritize making the space Mm. for that because this really comes down to if you're not working with the right people you won't have a business that you don't that you love yeah exactly it's so core yeah to being empowered inspired yeah. doing your best work getting paid well yeah if you're going to prioritize anything this really is mm. a place to and sit. i think i think certainly for us the only way of doing it was to take a day out and to think about it yeah. from that perspective because it was so noisy yeah at times yeah. that it was just the only way and it was a really fun empowering day Mm. I think you might have even done some stuff with us on it but you know you don't have to have this stuff at your fingertips all the time it is absolutely the kind of thing that you can sit down I mean this is the point with blank bland clarity (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna leave that one in the edit (laughs) (laughs) this is the point with brand clarity isn't it is that you should do it every year because also If you think about that turmoil that we've been on since 2019, Mm. you might still be working with the same clients. They might be your dream clients, but the things that motivate them have changed. changed. And also the things that motivate you and perhaps what you want out of your business. So there's an annual review of this thing, which we wholeheartedly endorse everybody to do. Once you've been doing it for a while, it'll just be ingrained. It'll become just a habitual whenever you write anything, whenever Whenever you you communicate, whenever you launch a new product, you've just got that habit of muses. We've got hundreds of muses for both of our businesses now, haven't we? And that's the thing, They're not always the same three. It's not one fixed muse. There won't be a fixed anti-muse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have many anti-muses, no, actually, I don't, thankfully. Um, but when you're creating a brand at the outset, you need you need to be clear about the look and feel, and therefore you're yeah. going to have to get quite specific mm, about exactly. a set of people yeah. that you're targeting this towards, which yeah. is which is more specific than demographics. And there's one last piece before we wrap, I think. This activity of creating muses is really valuable when you're elevating your brand yeah or if you're scaling up and you're looking to reach more or a different audience and then we get into this really juicy space of well how do I let old muses go yeah and and we'll dig into that I think in another episode but but that is definitely something that if you've been in business for a while you're very likely to come across yeah okay well my wonderful ideal muse who's now a really loyal and Mm. trusted client might not be the person that it's my business, take your business to the that's next going level. to take my business to the next yeah. level who I want to bring forward with me and managing that transition is really key 
but don't shy away from finding out. So yeah, so you'll be thinking about muses for elevating, muses for starting out, muses to troubleshoot where yeah. if you're falling out of love with your business, yes. go and look at your muses. There's lots of different points mm. at which you should be revisiting this stuff. Yeah. And hopefully a relatively simple, clear framework yeah. to do that. So in a nutshell... Mm. Think about where your edge is. What's your magic? Yeah. What makes you unique? What keeps people coming back to you? And we will talk about how you work that out in a future episode. Think about who will value that specific magic. What motivates them to do business with you? Mm. Who are they as a person? And what? how can that inform how you speak to them? How your brand communicates? Yeah. Anything else? Remember your anti-muse. Yeah, remember your anti-muse. Fabulous. I think it's a wrap. <laughs> so what question have we got this week? Well, it's not really a question so much as a general murmuring and rumbling. <laughs> and encouragement. And encouragement, yeah. yeah. So what I'm hearing a lot at the moment from almost everybody mm. is that things are a lot. Yes. You know, things are really challenging. There's a level of overwhelm. There's a level of sort of feeling slightly isolated and having to hold it all yourself. And I think this is, regardless of the times that we're in, this is a fairly natural feeling for Mm. an entrepreneur, particularly if you're doing something a bit differently and you're sort of flying against the curve Mm. and you're not in a a sort of traditional business with lots of other peers around you doing things Mm. the same way. Yeah. Which actually is a marker of a successful business, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. It really is. You're not, unless you're operating a franchise, you shouldn't be expecting to run things in the same way as everybody else yeah absolutely and I think particularly if you are you know whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're running a team if you are the founder of that business and the visionary in that business it is quite isolating you have to hold the vision yourself you decide on the direction Mm -hmm. you manage the team at the end of the day the buck stops with you you know you're accountable to whether you hit the numbers or not or whether you're delivering the right service and it's very overwhelming. And I suppose I, ju- I just wanted to take a short period of time to speak into that because it's something that gets forgotten. We push ourselves to the bottom of the pile. And we know in through talking about inspiration and all those other lovely things that if your business is going to be successful, you as the entrepreneur have to be taken care of. Yeah. And fundamentally, what I'm hearing is people are lonely. Yeah. And that's natural. And, and are they telling you they're lonely? Are they lonely in all parts of their lives or is it just this kind of sometimes they're aware of it Mm. sometimes they're able to say look I I, I'm just on my own I'm just I'm just feeling isolated I'm feeling lonely but sometimes what they're saying is I'm overburdened I'm feeling a bit disconnected Mm. what I'm hearing in all of those cases is the fundamental human need for connection isn't being met Mm. you know ultimately as human beings we've evolved through being part of a tribe, being part of a community, being in synergy with each other and in this sort of co-regulated space. Mm. And when you're an entrepreneur working largely on your own, we don't have that opportunity to co-regulate very often. Mm. And that need isn't met. And, it, it, you know, it can manifest in all sorts of ways and you don't realise it necessarily until suddenly you're in tears in front of a client or <laughs> or somebody delivers you bad news and you just fall apart with it yeah, and he says yeah. oh my god and then you just spill your guts to your best friend or whatever mm. it is yeah. and I suppose I'm wanting to encourage people to make the space to attend to themselves yeah more as a priority 
and to recognise that we have a fundamental need for connection and we have a fundamental need to be seen, to be heard, to be understood. And isolation and loneliness, even if you're in a crowded room, the Mm. feeling of disconnection and isolation is crippling. And I wonder whether it's not just that. I wonder whether it's also that thing of you can have lots of friends and Mm. you can have lots of friends that are entrepreneurs, but if they're not working at the same level as you or trying to achieve the same things as you that can be quite I'm just thinking to like this experience that I've got of sort of going into menopause and wanting to have conversations with people that are going through the same thing yeah you know and I met with an old school friend yesterday who I've not seen since 2019 and you could just see she's not surrounded by people that are talking about yeah the menopause and it was just that shared thing of going through the same thing sharing the same experiences some of them the same but you realize you're not going out of your mind yeah um I wouldn't necessarily talk to her about running a business because we don't have that in common but it's that thing I think of it's not loneliness can be quite taboo can't it Mm -hmm. and I think you can have lots of friends and talk about lots of things, but be quite lonely as an entrepreneur because people don't understand yeah. what you're going through. I think there's two levels. There's yeah. there's you as the entrepreneur and you as the individual. And the antidote to loneliness is accompaniment. Mm. It's, it's feeling really heard mm. and understood at that yes. same level. Yeah. So if you're feeling isolated and lonely in your business, or because ultimately the buck stops with you and you're carrying and holding all of that, the way to be heard and understood in that is to be around other people who are, like you say, at that same level yeah. as you or to have someone who's a sounding board who really gets it or who is invested in understanding yeah, for yeah, you yeah. so that yeah. you get that feedback. And, you know, we don't take the time to attend to our emotional state enough yeah. Yeah. in our culture. We we superficially ask, how are you? And you're yeah. really hoping people don't really say. Well, I've noticed a lot of people saying, I'm OK we used to all say, yeah, really good. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like, I'm okay. Yeah. And I don't and no know. No one ever questioned that any further, do they? Yeah, because you don't, you know, you don't have, always have permission to go into yeah. that and you don't know whether people want to divulge that. But I'm certainly seeing very clearly at the moment, it's like for the last couple of years, through the pandemic, through lockdown, through all of this stuff, we took we took a sharp intake of breath. Mm. And for some people, lockdown created space and it was great. I and mean, we've all had different experiences of it. But I think if I was to take a broad brush general sweep, it's particularly in running a business. Mm. We've had this sort of sharp intake of breath. We've been holding it. The adrenaline's kicked in. We've been firefighting. We've been pivoting. We've been doing whatever we need to do to keep the wheels on the bus. And there's been pressure, 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 pressure. And we've had the cultural support of that, of, you know, um, furlough or the government saying it's okay. Expectations of people maybe dropped. People became more compassionate. And there was kind of, you know, if you're not making a deadline or if Mm. you're whatever, there was this sort of general okayness with it not being okay because we were in crisis and emergency. Now what's happening is all of that scaffolding and supportive structure of it's it's okay we're all falling apart. (laughs) You know, it's it's okay that you're falling apart because it's natural because we're in this emergency. Well, we're no longer apparently in an emergency. Well, there is currently no scaffolding because the government is imploding. Exactly. So all of that permission to fall apart has gone away. Mm. The critical emergency piece has has gone. But what we've still got left with is... 
this the hangover of all of the adrenaline of all of the stress which some of us may still be in on a daily basis but there's less compassion there's less grace around it yeah um for ourselves and each other absolutely not just outwards is it yeah and business as usual has become really you know getting back to business as usual has become really important yeah but it's that what we haven't recognised is we've been through a firefight. We've been through mm. a crisis yeah. where the house has literally been on fire and everybody's in that emergency mode. But what we haven't built in is space for real recovery. Yeah. So I'm finding people now are still pushing through yeah. and risking burnout, you know, at yeah. that point of burnout because their nervous systems are yeah. literally struggling so under the pressure. So... The first thing we need to do is recognise that it's perfectly normal if you're yeah. not feeling perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. It's okay to feel stressed, well, and does overwhelmed. Does anyone even remember what perfectly normal no, exactly. is like? I mean, it's a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And so first thing, apply a massive dose of compassion and understanding. It mm. probably makes, if you feel like you're not on par, it probably makes sense. Yes. You know, yeah, so it's totally. it's natural, it's normal, it's okay you're not alone in that. Yeah. There are a lot of other people doing that. Yeah. Our tendency in that can be to contract away yeah. from support yeah. and for things to fall apart and for us to take our own responsibility for ourselves. We need to recognise that we need connection. Mm. We need to break out. It doesn't mean you have to fall apart with all your friends. It doesn't mean you yeah, have yeah. to suddenly have this big catharsis or any of that mm. kind of stuff. But if you are feeling overwhelmed or if you're feeling like you're not coping as well or like you you just haven't got your shit together mm. seeking out accompaniment in that is really important okay. and that accompaniment needs to come from the people around you who are hopefully preferably more regulated than yourself yeah and by regulated i mean they're not in a state of panic anxiousness yeah. nervousness yeah they're probably quite grounded Mm. they're able to make space for you they're not going to project their story on you they're able to listen yeah probably seek out a friend who loves a bit of gossip or whatever but they're likely to hype you back up into the drama of something okay this is where using somebody outside of your circle of friends can be useful you know this is what coaches are for or what therapists are for or somebody who is impartial but who has a vested interest in creating space for you and holding that and creating space for rest recognizing that even if you're not at the emergency first aid level where you're feeling like you're at burnout yeah but just that there's this low-grade rumbling of something not quite right Mm. you need to prioritize your uh, nervous system you need to prioritize your physical vitality your well-being and and just make that a priority yeah amazing Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.